Say one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. You're listening to Song and Story, conversations with songwriters about their songs. You can support this project on Patreon, and you can learn more at songandstorypodcast.com. One of the most iconic songs ever written is Don McLean's American Pie. It's a nearly nine-minute ode to music, life, history, culture, community, and time. In 2015, McLean actually sold at auction for $1.2 million, 18 pages of manuscript containing the original lyrics and notes for the song. He said, quote, I thought it would be interesting as I reach age 70 to release this work product on the song so that anyone who might be interested will learn that this song was not a parlor game. It was an indescribable photograph of America that I tried to capture in words and music and then was fortunate enough, through the help of others, to make a successful recording. End quote. Leading up to the auction, McLean was asked if he had any advice for aspiring songwriters, and this was his answer. Quote, I would say to young songwriters who are starting out to immerse yourself in beautiful music and beautiful lyrics and think about every word you say in a song. End quote. Since Don McLean is not this episode's featured artist, I will now stop talking about Don McLean and start talking about Michelle Mandico. Michelle is an artist through and through. She dances, she paints, she writes, she sings, she sculpts. If you're unfamiliar with her work, her music is moving. Her melodies are mesmerizing. Her lyrics have depth and her voice is pure. This song of hers that you're about to hear is, in a sense, her own indescribable photograph of America, her own musical ode to life, history, culture, community, and time. With beautiful music and beautiful lyrics, it's the kind of song that makes you want to think about every word she's saying. I'm Michelle Mandico. I'm from Colorado Springs, Colorado, living in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This is the first song off my 2018 album, Ptarmigan. It's called Water Bearer. These days is the least of my worries I'll arrive when I arrive Thread of downpour in Memphis, Tennessee But I'll make it just the same I don't need it to be easy Visionary 
calls, no need to hurry. Down the road is down the road. Tears are warning, flood in front of me, but I'll swim it all the same. I don't need it to be pretty. Water bearer, wash this terror. Humans helping humans helping human as our fears. Humans helping humans helping underwater. Creatures trade bait for darkness. Still, the moon will tug their heart. Made my way to the front of the Lorraine. Who knew an edge's trace would lead to a motel? Who knew an edge's trace would lead to a motel? Water bearer, wash this terror. Humans helping humans, helping human as our fears. Humans helping humans, helping. Maybe we can start. Healing become merely transcendental. I'll survive if I'm alive. I can't believe what your smile does for me. I'll let it go the same. I don't need to hold it with me. Water bearer. Wash this terror. Humans helping humans helping human as our fears. Humans helping humans helping. Water bearer. Wash this terror. Humans helping humans helping. Are you, you're fidgeting, aren't you? You're doodling on stuff. <laughs> I can hear it. I can hear your pen. Guilty. You gotta, you gotta stop. Okay. I feel like I'm at school. <laughs> like, all over again. I hear it every time. It's like crystal clear. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. No, I should put it on mute. No, I'm just kidding. All right, Kevin, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be distracted anymore. Oh man! It's actually, it actually, legit. It is like how I focus, which is it's so funny. 
a challenge. I mean, it's a thing. I think if you ask a group of kids, at least a couple of them will probably say that it helps them to create or move um, when you're listening. Just is like a focusing technique. But um, I can focus without that. Okay. That's so. That's really funny. It's not a huge deal if you're doing it when I'm talking because I can mute your audio when I edit it. But okay, okay. But still, don't do it because it, then I hear it and it's and it and it makes it doesn't help me focus. <laughs> okay, right. I understand. I was on a plane recently and I listened back at some old voice memos, and the iPhone has like done something weird. Instead of naming them what they did, it kind of defaulted to the date and time of the voice memo so I've lost a lot of context on my ideas but I I happened to click on the one that was water bearer like the very first voice memo I took of water bearer and it was like I sang most of it you know in a in a way like the traffic these days is the least of my worries I think that line was the same but I just had a totally different like intonation and really melody was pretty much the same but it's just funny to see how I mean, writing the song was quick, I'm sure, but then I've been more patient about, like, waiting for a piece. I'm not going to... There's a time I probably would have used a filler, but I also... There aren't very... there. Yeah, there aren't any fillers on this record, which feels really good. Yeah, I agree with you. There's zero. There's no fat on this album. (laughs) Uh, That's amazing. So getting into the song here, uh, it's... It's a phenomenal first track. And you sing it in a way that makes the listener kind of have to work to understand what you're saying. It's not that you don't articulate it. The way that you string words together melodically, I I really appreciate it because it requires, I guess, an active level of engagement. And so it was, you know, I listened to it several times before I realized what you were saying in the uh, in the chorus, mm-hmm. which is humans helping humans helping humanize our fears. What do you mean by that? I don't know if that's necessarily the best place to start. <laughs> Jump right in. Is it best to start there, or should we kind of lead up to it? We're there, so let's talk about it. Um, I mean, this song is about relationship with oneself. It's about relationship with others. It's about relationship with our fears and relationships to the things we love. Ultimately, I mean, yeah, this song is about relationship because it's calling all people, good, bad, every person, you know, is a human. So it calls this like oneness, humans helping humans, and then to humanize a fear, fear is so daunting and it's so provocative and it's paralyzing and it can kind of take its own path into your life. And I think as an artist, you know, fear shows up often. And one thing about fear is that like it keeps you moving. So there is like a lot of movement and shifts in this song, but but the chorus is rather simple. And when we seek help from others in a dark place, You know, we have to, like, become those fears to empathize with those fears. And I don't mean, like, become the fear, but you really have to listen. Because we're all, like, we're all struggling with the same elements. 
So is that is that what you mean by humanize then? Um, is is it a reference just to empathy? Yeah, and I think it's also this searching for something that makes sense. You know, sure. like fear doesn't make sense. A lot of uh, there's a lot to fear that's not real. So I think being able to humanize with either a friend or a family member or a doctor, wherever you're able to kind of seek consolation around that fear, you know, maybe makes it less horrible. I don't know. Sure. It, and it's, it is so vague. It's like I couldn't really get more vague than that. And that's something. <laughs> well, like, that's, that's okay. And that's what I, is interesting to me about the song is that the chorus has this kind of general communal call to it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of particulars in the verses. You know, the way the song begins, uh, traffic. Traffic these days is the least of my worries. I'll arrive when I can. I don't I don't know how particular that line is to, you know, if that was a, a specific incident where you were sitting in traffic or something, but I've definitely had that thought before. You know, on on any given day, especially when I lived in DC where the traffic was horrible and I every time I go back I just get mad and swear a lot. But you know, it's one of those things that sometimes you have days that put everything in, into perspective. And when you put the tragedies and the pain that exists in the world into perspective, then traffic is the least of our worries, <laughs> you know? Totally, yeah. That lyric definitely came from a specific time of being in traffic. And I just remember I was I left somewhere and I wasn't on any particular schedule. And so I didn't even really know what time it was, but... It was kind of not an unplanned trip. Like, it definitely felt intentional, but um, it's not like I had lined up my accommodations for the night. You know, I I just knew I would figure it out. I remember the feeling that, like, time wasn't as important as getting there. Um, that mantra kind of all arrive when I arrive. There's a lot of, like, repetition where it feels almost like just coming into yourself where it's not like a, it's a space kind of lacking effort, but more like being carried. So is the, is the, was that specific drive, were you headed to Memphis? Yes. Okay. Cause that's the next, the next line is a uh, threat of downpour in Memphis, Tennessee, mm-hmm. but I'll make it just the same. Uh, why were you going to Memphis? I was going to check out, one of the possible places that I was going to record, I already had chosen my engineer and he was based out of like Memphis area. And I asked him what one of his recent projects where that one was recorded. Cause I really liked the sound of it. And he um, let me know it was the studio in Coldwater, Mississippi. So I made a plan to visit that studio to see if, you know, a couple weeks from then, I'd want to come back for the recording. So that's kind of a simple answer. Um, but it happened to be the weekend of MLK, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So I had either gone up there on a Sunday. I must have gone up there on a Sunday. I spent the night. And then the next morning, I met Kevin 
at Zebra Ranch. And after I finished kind of walking the studio, I went straight to um, the Civil Rights Museum, the National Civil Rights Museum. So that's like kind of the anchor into the next set of lyrics. It definitely was very much a real, a real sequence of events. Yeah. How, how so? How does it, how does it carry us into the next stanza? Well, like I mentioned, so getting there, there was the storm. So that's where that kind of like thread of downpour, you know, I think when my parents looked up on the news that the weather in this area, there was like a shore warning of, you know, flooding in the area. So I think they were a little bit concerned because I was, you know, out on the road. It it was dark. So it did kind of feel in ways dangerous, in ways like, again, perspective, not at all. But but still, still that kind of ominous feeling. Yeah, for sure. Like a lack of security, you know, or like a lack of control or, you know, safety. So that time, I think, what is it? Rain and vision recalls no need to hurry. Down the road is down the road. And then I think it's, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. You can remind me. Yeah, no, down the road is down the road. Is that kind of your version of I'll arrive when I arrive? Yeah. It's like what's ahead of me is ahead of me. And we can like try as we will to construct the path that we're hoping to take. But there's definitely an element of just, the road's already like set, you know, you're just walking this journey. There's some of that that plays in. Again, it's like that repetition to make it feel like maybe this is all happening in one moment too. Oh, explain that a little more. I think maybe just like the feeling of recognition where you feel like something, you know, is somehow familiar. That's a really powerful thing, I think, especially in our culture, paying attention to like the the people and the things that we cherish and we like we know good by like experiencing good you know yeah you kind of have to experience these things and I think I mean to try to somehow loop us back going to the National Civil Rights Museum was something I wanted to experience it happened to be like really intensified by the fact that it was the national day to honor him and I think just that point in my life where I was kind of like seeking navigation in a way like I, I did have like these open days where I could do that. I could take a drive to Memphis and like decide what time I'm coming home, you know? Yeah. So there was definitely this like lightness and freedom. Also, these like strong strokes of independence in this, too, where it's like nobody's waiting on you to do this. Nobody's waiting on you to make the next record or write the next song. You have to find that like source inside to be the motivating factor. In that instance, driving to Memphis was like a part of this record. And it didn't really make sense to anyone else at the time. And that's okay. That was something that I kind of had to branch out and do outside of you know, the comfort zone or the comfort zone of my friends and family or, you know, whatever it is. But yeah. And then once, you know, once I was at the Lorraine Motel, it was just, you could feel, you know, you could feel the energy in the, in the museum. Well, so it's really interesting that you were, you know, you had essentially begun the process of making the album just by driving uh, to Memphis to look at a place to record. And so it's kind of funny that, that this song 
about that trip ended up being the first song on the record. I don't know what that if that means anything in the grand scheme of things, but for sure it does. But everything that you just said, kind of describing the day and how you felt, it kind of reminds me of those days that I hope we all have them. They feel too few and far between. But one of those days that is full of opportunity, but bears with that like minimal expectation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's a there's a lightness to those days that just brings a a sense of clarity and peace. And I think it's the type of thing that can open you up to, you know, experiencing the Civil Rights Museum on the anniversary of MLK's death in the, uh, you know, in the fullest sense that one could have such an experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like the word, you know, kind of an existential feeling. Um, again, that's it's almost like an airiness. And that's kind of the same environment I used writing the song was just alone in my bedroom, you know, sitting where I am right now, probably looking out the window and like sitting with my guitar, trying something out, and then just pairing this experience that ended up being really pivotal, you know, trying to paint this experience to this moment. And that's kind of how um, the song comes out. So when you get to the the uh, tears are warning the flood in front of me, but I'll swim it all the same. I don't need it to be pretty. Is that a reference to anything that you haven't described already? No, I think just the perseverance of like getting somewhere you know, even in moments where like survival feels like, like you said, the minimal expectation. That's, and I really like, I really like those lines. Thanks. At, at the, at the, at the end of each of those stanzas, you know, the first is I don't need it to be easy. And the second is I don't need it to be pretty. It's just, that's, it's clarity, you know, it's, it's clarity and perspective. It's look, this is the goal. We're going to get there. It's okay if bad stuff happens. In the meantime, we're going to get there. We don't need it to be easy. We just need to get there. You know, it's like kind of keep calm, <laughs> you know, that that type of thing. Yeah, definitely. So that rolls us into the first chorus, which we've already kind of talked about a little bit. But is the water bearer, a, is it a being? Is it a, is it a person? <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it an idea? Uh, oh, that's so funny. Well... Water bearer, I guess, of the ones you just listed, is closest to, yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe a being, but this is the Aquarius sign in the Zodiac. Okay. I mean, ultimately, it's a constellation, and it means, yeah, water barrier or cup carrier. The water bearer, the reason why, like, that was the chorus is because you know, anytime we encounter water, there's kind of this opportunity for healing and cleansing and renewing, you know. So I think that's, that is kind of a thread that I, I wanted to touch on because it, it can easily get overlooked. But really sharing in this idea of bearing water, bearing peace. And even, and even being empathetic. I mean, for sure, that's sh- sh- sharing yourself with another person is a f- is a form of 
of bringing them the water, of giving them something to drink, helping them cool off, helping them clean up, you know? Right. I mean, our earth is like fueled by water, you know, every single thing needs water to survive. It's so basic, you know, but then it's like, yeah, like eliminate water. Everything's going. Maybe not the deserts. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we all like water is a pure necessity for our spirits for our bodies, for our earth, you know, everything. So so what's the terror? Wash this terror. Is it a specific? Yeah, I mean, that's like the stuff you're witnessing in the National Civil Rights Museum. You're like walking through terror. You're also walking through a lot of perseverance and you're seeing achievement and progress. But what you're reading about and what you're seeing is like, as bad as it gets. And then to think that that's not the first time that happened. There's still, you know, like things that terrorizing are still happening. I mean, we're always hearing about something violent, you know, always, always hearing about something that's confusing. It's just like a lot of, it's a lot to process. It's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of war. There's a lot of loneliness, you know, what kind of struck you the most about being in the museum? I, I guess in particular things, were there things that you, or events, incidents that you learned about that you were previously unaware? I think walking through, it was just very dark. I remember like most of the museum was like in a dark tunnel feeling or just, you know, black walls. And it was, you know, it was like the the art was lit up and the, um, like panels of text were lit up. But I think the part I really was struck by was walking around that motel room balcony. And that's the actual structure and place that it happened. And you just... Oh, where he was shot. Yeah, he was like shot on the balcony of this motel, the Lorraine Motel. So, yeah, I think just a heavy moment to think of all of the things that he endured, you know, like people tried to blow up his house, like he was around riots and who would have thought that it was a simple moment, like, you know, such an unprotected, vulnerable moment on his end that somebody would be like out to commit terror and violence. Do you think there's something to the way that it's set up? I mean, you described, you described it as almost the whole thing feels like a dark tunnel. To me, I mean, watch, I could go back and it's like all colorful or something, but the feeling was all black. Yes. <laughs> okay. And it felt like a tunnel. And it felt like a tunnel. I mean, you know how museums are structured kind of like a maze to maximize like surface area. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, you, you are, you're walking like, you know, in and out of things. But do most museums feel like a tunnel to you? Um, I don't think so. I think, it, you know, it depends on the museum. This one, you could just tell they were, like, packing a lot into this museum for good reason. Well, see, then, that's what fascinates me about it, and I think it gives a little insight into how you perceive things. You know, on one hand, you say, I mean, it's kind of structured like most museums, but you also, when you go into most museums, you don't really feel like you're in a tunnel. But you felt like you were in a tunnel mm -hmm. this time. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, fits 
perfectly with the theme of perseverance that you're describing because that's the analogy that's the metaphor that we always use is there's a light at the end of the tunnel yeah that's interesting i like that a lot well thank you as far as i'm concerned it was your thought (laughs) like intellectual property (laughs) it was your thought that you didn't even really know you had and i helped you articulate it (laughs) we'll call it both of ours (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting that you know before everything was reduced to efficiency and what's economic a lot more thought was put into architecture and i just think the way you described the museum was really interesting and fits perfectly with uh, with the themes that you kind of put forth in the song I know I was kind of in a hurry and I probably I probably had tunnel vision trying to get to see the motel room and and I was like on I was on a schedule actually. So I I know I'd like to spend more time there eventually. Is it is the museum set up so that it it kind of ends so that your natural tour of it kind of ends at the Lorraine Motel? I think so. Yeah. So what was that like? Man Again, it was kind of, it's kind of a blur in my memory. Um, But I mean, you definitely are building up, you're, you know, reading things, you're seeing information on transportation, and you're, you know, trying to absorb all this history. And then you kind of get to the hotel room or motel room, and everything just seems really simple and normal. I think there was something kind of strange about that. But um, is the room kind of set up? to look just how it was when it happened? Is it something they they haven't really touched or they've kind of replicated the feel of it? No, that was my understanding, was that it was set up and not really touched. Oh, they never touched it? Right. It feels like a replica of, of the room exactly. Okay. Yeah. Man. Coming out of the first chorus, underwater creatures trade bait for darkness. Still the moon will tug their heart. Underwater creatures trade bait for darkness. I'm inclined to just kind of muse and think out loud about that line. Yeah. Because I can't tell if if it's just an observation, if it's a prompt, if it's meant to be portrayed as a good thing or a bad thing. You know, like underwater creatures, creatures that love the darkness they live in the darkness the darkness is their home but they'll trade it if they see something a little bit more enticing uh if if you if you hold out some bait so is this like are you saying this in a in a good way or a bad way to kind of like lure Mm -hmm. lure these these uh den dwellers out of the darkness Uh uh-huh yeah it's definitely the one of they trade in a temptation for darkness. You know, they would trade bait for darkness, which would be oh, like right. kind of staying like under the waterline, you know? Sure. Um, I think really that line is me shifting my attention from this, you know, really tangible experience on the road, you know, weather this destination to all of a sudden like there are places where that are like untouched by all of this this is you know the first lyrics out of 
the chorus. So it's like almost like diving underwater. And it's like, imagine the feeling of calm, of everything silent underwater, you know, and, and it's just like numb to what's happening above the surface. But um, oh, yeah, I, I do think I'm, you know, yeah, what happened probably is my attention shifted into the mystery um, in our like human nature to seek greater goodness to in the end ultimately seek what is true and to find beauty you know even if that's in the darkness even in states of temptation or like we give way to hope still goodness is what's going to pull us deepest you know the moon is like the thing that's really controlling the water so creatures you know are still pulled by something bigger than us and then you know, made my way to the front of the Lorraine. I feel like that is, again, we kind of like collapse back in the reflection of that day. Obviously, I wrote the song, or at least I wrote that verse later. So did that answer anything that you asked? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's just an interesting line. I mean, it's, well, I mean, it's it's obviously interesting for me to hear your take on it, but on its own, as an, if you isolate it, you could take it in so many directions Mm -hmm. depending on what darkness represents in, in your metaphor. And it's, it seems like if, if we do that, just as a thought experiment here, if we do that and you look at the darkness that spawned or, or created or was at the heart, honestly, of the civil rights movement, you know, the, the whole reason for it, the way people were being treated and, and mistreated and ignored and, dejected on one hand i could read that line like underwater creatures trade bait for darkness meaning like no i'm not interested in your bait it's much easier for me to sit here and not say anything and let things be the way they are but then there's always going to be the beauty of the moon so if the moon is that beautiful thing if it's that higher ideal that's kind of tugging on the hearts of people that have resigned themselves to be still and silent in the midst of these atrocities and these adversities, this darkness. So that's why I asked about it. Like, that's why I said, you know, I preface this question, if you can call this a question, by saying, like, I'm tempted to just kind of muse on this line. Because after everything that you've said, it's making me think that there are, there could be so many ways to to interpret it good (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can't remember how you say it in the song what's the notch notches notches trace notche trace how do you say that yeah notches trace what is that because the line is who who knew the notches trace would lead to a motel i think i'm missing a little a bit of history it's the path it was like the main road or parkway that um, drove through Tennessee, Mississippi. So it goes from Natchez, Mississippi to Nashville, Tennessee, but it was like the main to and from between Memphis and Nashville. Okay. So is this kind of like, who knew that driving down this road? This, This simple road, exactly, from like Little Music City to you know, blues, you know, rock and blues, Memphis, Tennessee, who knew that this little like humble path was going to become traveled 
to see the National Civil Rights Museum, which amazes me too. Not a lot of people know is here. Yeah, from from there it goes into the into the chorus again. Humans helping humans, helping humanize our fears. And then you just kind of sing, you sing it a couple times, right? Maybe we can start again. Maybe we can start again. I sing it three times. So there's kind of this importance just through the repetition. And it kind of grows musically too. It's considered the bridge. So in this way, it's meant to link a lot of the troubles from earlier in the song to this more like resolution and I think I sing, I can't believe what your smile does for me, but I'll let it go the same. I don't need to hold it with me, I think is how it goes. So basically it's saying part of what humanizes our fears is this connection, these like intimate connections that we have with each other. And it's amazing how like one single relationship can change the relationship of so many other things just by like association even. So Maybe we can start again. That's definitely this hope that, like, yes, in the future, we will continue to help each other. I mean, it sounds, it's funny, Kevin, because, like, as I say that, it it feels so, like, basic hippie. Like, you know, maybe we can all help each other. But I don't, and I don't say that, like, in a negative way. I do, that is really a big piece of my soul. But it also makes sense when you hear it like in a different tone of voice. Oh, sure. Like if you hear a child say that, you know, humans helping humans helping. It's just like they get it. There's this innocence to that phrase. And then like, you know, maybe we can start again. Maybe we can make our way back. Yeah, it's one of those lines that I, it was was cliche, maybe the word you were looking for to describe it. Yeah, totally. It feels like, cli- it feels know. cliche to you because you know if if I just read the words, maybe we can start again. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, hold on. I was gonna say there are a million songs that have that line. That's not entirely true. There are, but there are you know dozens and dozens of songs. You need to quit drawing because I can hear that. Oh, that's amazing. I know, right? There are so many songs that at least have that as their theme. Um, you know, that maybe we can start again. But it seems like, to me, like it's most often used within the context of a relationship that has crumbling and the singer is trying to salvage it. Mm-hmm. You know, so not that that's a superficial reason to use it, but but you're taking it out of that, you know, isolated relationship between two people. So, something that has become almost like a cliche formulation to speak about rekindling love between two people and and you are using it for a much grander purpose and that being rekindling love between all people yes um and so even though when you just read it maybe we can start again you know yeah it kind of feels basic but the way you sing it at no point have i ever thought ah that's kind of cliche i wish she'd sang something else (laughs) you know like (laughs) it it's just it's a beautiful kind of Maybe this is a good way to say it. It's like it's the most unoriginal line in the song and perhaps the most general, but it's also needed for that reason because it's it kind of gives us a break. Yeah, I think if you watch the video when you said like it gives you a break, it is the only part in the song where there's like really intense sunlight. 
So just over those three lines musically, we like completely changed the color spectrum in the video. Is that the line when the little girls are kind of, you know, have you in the white dress? Um, that's like toward the end, but the bridge is specifically the sunlight. It's just okay. like me in, in a really super sunny forest where it's like, you know, it kind of like channels Rivendell, like Lord of the Rings style. <laughs> <laughs> it was super fun to um, kind of portray that. So that was, in, that's it was obviously it was intentional then with the video yes. to kind of visualize yes. what you're saying about. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well done. (laughs) So when did healing become merely transcendental? Do you think it has? What do you mean by that? And do you think it has? Mm. Well, you know, you've used the word like, what what did you use? Um, Like existential. (laughs) I use that word all the time. Do you? I do, yeah. Well, I think... I'm almost using the opposite by saying, like, transcendental. It's almost like there's this formula, you know, Mm. Um, versus, like, it can also be transcendent towards something that has no structure at all. And it's in the form of, like, it could be spiritual healing. It could be there's some sort of lift. It could be understanding it through a new perspective. There's, like, physical wounds, and that's, like, a very clear set of healing, you know. And then there's these emotional or mental or spiritual wounds or, like, familial wounds. And we have these wounds, and they're invisible. And so that's just as real. You know, we were talking about perspective, but it's, like, whatever wound there is, healing ultimately, at some point, if it is an emotional or social, or, you know, personal ill, then healing for it will be transcendental. It will be something non-physical. It will relate to something spiritual, you know, because it's a letting go of. It's a, Either it's a surrendering or it's a forgiveness. But it's like, it's a hard thing to grasp because, you know, we don't have a cast for it and there's not like surgery to, you know, like heal up your heart right. if it's hurting. So I'll survive if I'm alive. Um, I'll get there when I get there. Basically, like if, if I'm alive, I've survived physically. So if I've survived physically, then... Then I've survived. I've yeah, sur- like then I'm good. Right. Then then you'll be okay yep. mentally, emotionally, eventually. Right. Again, it's that like minimum, you know? Yeah. If all I have to do is survive, like, then dot, dot, dot. Right. So I can't believe what your smile does for me, but but I'll let it go the same. I don't need to hold it with me. You touched on that a moment ago. Um, but was there a specific you? It can be sparked by someone specific. But I think it's, it is a more collective you. This is classic. This is what I do. I definitely don't often like go out and name name what a song is about or if it's about a person. I definitely am not one to broadcast it. Well, I'm not asking you to, I'm not asking you to name names. So I know you weren't asking you to name names. I was just putting it out okay. there. <laughs> yeah, I think that there was somebody in particular who at the time just spending even a little bit of time with them was 
um, really like refreshing and also healing. And there was, I think at the time of all this, I was also hearing a bunch of stuff on the news. So it was, you know, terror was kind of coming at me from all, all angles, but just feeling out of touch, out of control with, you know, with what's safe or, I mean, I think that's huge too, is that we don't know what other people are going through. We're all good at, you know, handling what we're handling and putting on a good face and best foot forward and all that. But usually if you have time to sit with somebody and talk with somebody, like we're all carrying something heavy, we're all living and we're all riding our own rhythm. So we have to let it go. I think any journey that you set out on, there's going to be moments of having to let go of what's comfortable or close or safe beautiful you know like points you do have to leave that even in this song like I do want there to be some sort of release and relief of you know just like calling in the support of one another and that like our best bet in times of trouble is our relationship with others even at the end of it even at the worst of it the best thing we have still is our like ability to serve and help others. Traffic these days is the least of my worries. I'll arrive when I Wash this terror 
my conversation with Michelle, then I want to let you in on a little secret. I want to tell you how I discovered her music. It was through a movement based in Nashville, Tennessee, called Love Good Culture. As of the release of this episode, Michelle's album, Ptarmigan, has officially been out and available for four days. It's brand new. But I... I have been listening to it. I have owned a physical hard copy of it for well over a year now. I received an advanced copy of this independent artist's unreleased new album because my wife and I are patrons of Love Good Culture. We have been since they launched in 2013. We give Love Good Culture $45 every three months, and in return, they send us a big old bouquet of art each quarter. Back in June, we got two albums, hard copies and digital, before either of them were officially released. A beautiful print of a painting from a young artist I've never heard of, despite his immense talent, a super cool coffee mug, a book of poetry, and more. If you want to support independent artists and get an awesome bundle of art dropped on your doorstep every season, consider becoming a patron of Love Good Culture. Go to lovegoodculture.com to learn more. As for Michelle's music, it's on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, etc. You can go straight to her own website, michellemandico.com, to buy music, merch, and to learn more about her creative endeavors. And you can and should check out her beautiful music video for Waterbearer. It's on YouTube. I've included links to all these sites in the show notes on songandstorypodcast.com. You can follow me, Kevin Heider, as well as Song and Story Podcast on social media. And if you enjoy this podcast, please spread the word, share links, leave ratings and reviews via your preferred podcast platform. Finally, if you'd like to support this podcast financially, I invite you to do so at patreon.com slash song and story. 
You'll help keep this cultural exploration going and get access to additional content. Thanks for listening. Because you still are, here's a little bonus clip. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Nothing broke. It was just my Nalgene bottle. Okay. <laughs> um, how, do you, how do you feel? I feel fine. Um, I would say enjoy the video because a lot of thought went into that and the dance. You know, that was a big thing. So enjoy the video. Share the video. Ask me about the video. So, but this is huge, Kevin. Thank you so, so much. It's your voice on music and your perspective on music is so highly valued. Um, and I would like listen to anything you tell me to listen to. So <laughs> thank well, you for like, well then go back to Springsteen greetings from Asbury park, uh, 1973 and then just work your way up. So who is that? Shut up. No. Who's what? Who's who? What are you asking me? What am I what am I listening Springsteen. to? Springsteen. I said Springsteen. Okay. Springsteen. Shut up. <laughs> You're lying to me right now. I'm not lying to you. <laughs> you are lying. To, you don't know who Bruce Springsteen is? Okay, I know. I just I didn't I haven't listened to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, really? <laughs> I mean, I'll have to listen to know. Oh my gosh. All right, I'll just I'll send you like a playlist or something. Bombard me with some Bruce Springsteen. I will. I you know I this is oh man I made the perfect Springsteen playlist for my wife after we started uh, dating, and she listened to it. Had about twenty five tracks on it, and she listened to it. <laughs> like a week later, I got this text from it was the most romantic text she's ever sent me she said uh i think i love bruce springsteen what have you done to me oh that's so cute yeah okay so are you still recording i am yeah